All right, you guys can be seated. Last week it was uh, too warm, and this week it's too cold. Look at the blankets around the room. That's awesome. Um, it, I'm, I, I don't know what their problem is. I'll be sweating up here in just a minute. So um, Now, it's the last week of our vision series. It, let me just say this. If you have missed along the way, and you're looking, and, and this is your church, or you're looking for a church, and you want to know what we're about, there are, well, right now there's five weeks of sermons based on this, but there's three more that will go up this week. Um, all, of, all of these have, are, are going online, and I would encourage you, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on the Internet, thewayfaithcommunity.com, um, and all of the sermons are there. I would encourage you to go and listen um, and understand and strive to understand what we're striving to do and, and really where this vision's built. But as we start today, because it is the last day and it kind of ties together the threads of this idea of vision and mission, um, I want to summarize it just real quickly as what we've worked through. And so we're going to start with where we started at because of the gospel we are. It's a statement that has dual focus. We exist as believers, who we are as individual believers and corporately as a church because of God's work through the gospel of Jesus Christ. There would be no church without that. This isn't somebody's grand scheme or grand idea or it's not some witty salesman came up with this scheme to make money. This is God's work through the gospel, raising people and gathering them together through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He makes churches. As the gospel not only comes in and makes us who we are and brings us together as the church corporately, it changes the way we live. It gives us new rhythms of life. Because of the gospel, we are, we exist. Because of the gospel, we move. We, we move in certain ways. As we talk about those rhythms of life here, we, we try to facilitate that for people. And we gather in our uh, large gatherings, we gather in our small gatherings, and we scatter into the city and live as individuals in God's, in God's world, in a world that rejects him, but he owns it, they'll answer to him, and he's told us to go into it and let people know about him. That's the rhythms of life that the gospel puts in, and you can see this all the way through scripture. The New Testament, as the gospel invades people's lives, it changes how they live. And those rhythms of life, we talk about them in terms of temple. That's this gathering, this large gathering. Table, it's the small gatherings where we gather in people's homes and we deal with community, discipleship, ministry to one another, mission together, those kinds of things. And then town, where we recognize that every one of us live in the world. We are called to be distinct from it, holy people, distinct from the world, but not isolated from it to the point that we can't reach out to them, that we can't touch them. So because of the gospel, these two ideas are what we are striving to be and do. Because of the gospel, we worship God, our creator. Without the gospel, there's no one worshiping God. The Bible clearly teaches that, that without the gospel, without God coming into the world and God making a way, no one would worship him. Everyone would reject. He comes in. He makes a way through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now we can worship him and turn from all the little G gods, all the things that we worship instead of him, um, and that things that motivate us and that, that we devote our lives to, we turn from those, all those little G-gods, and turn to Him. And not only that, but in the gospel, He enables us to worship rightly. He is reordering worship. He's putting Himself at the top and, and calling all people in the gospel to worship Him, but not just any way. He calls us to worship Him 
in a way that he finds acceptable in spirit and in truth. All of these things we've talked about over these last eight weeks. Because of the gospel, we have seen that our response is not to be set aside to one or two days a week. It is, this is a lifestyle. This is a call to life as mission. Not a life that's periodically on mission, but a life that is mission. Your life here on earth is not meant to be building your own kingdom. It's been, been set aside by God as his holy person to live with him in his mission every step of the way. And so through the gospel, we see God doing that. His mission, we defined it as we went along, is to restore good, godly-centered worship. The book of Romans, you see him, and, and, and there's many things that people say about the book of Romans, but what we have seen and what I showed you in, in the book of Romans, that it is a story of how God, through Jesus Christ, took what was fallen and worshipped everything but him, and was rejecting him and gave a way that he could bring these people back into his presence, call them righteous, make them holy, and then turn their eyes to him that they might worship him, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays, but every day. And that's where Romans 12 comes in and it says that, therefore, in light of all that Paul had taught, and therefore, in light of the gospel, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, pleasing and acceptable to God. Not just one day a week, not just certain times of the day, not just in certain activities, and these activities are mine and these activities belong to God. Offer your bodies, that's every part of you and all that you own as living sacrifices. All of life is about this mission of God. And so our lives should become about worship and leading others to worship the one true God. That's what God is doing in the gospel. And since we form around the gospel, that's what we will be about doing. We exist as a church to worship and lead others to worship. We organize as we strive to, to live as a church. We organize as a family. You, you and I are not just individuals that just come together haphazardly, but we are called brothers and sisters in Christ. And we organize as a family brought together in one spirit by one God through one Savior with one faith, unified, unified, and called to live authentically together, being real together, doing life together. And that's, that's how we come together. That's, that, that's the organization of it. But then as we come together and we organize around these ideas, there becomes two predominant perspectives, and that's one looking in at the church and one looking outside the church. And that inward focus, we are called to love one another in the way that Christ has loved us. And that love is not a fluffy emotion, but it is an act of service towards one another. We know what love really is because Jesus served us so well. He gave himself that you and I might be called righteous. He gave up his life for that. That's service. That's not an emotion. Certainly there's emotion involved. Certainly there's, there's feelings attached. But that idea of love is an active choice to act in somebody's best interest. And so we serve selflessly with our God-given gifts and abilities. All of who we are given to this idea that we stand together, a shoulder to lean on, someone gifted to teach 
and disciples, someone gifted with evangelism that is, is reaching out to your neighbors and you bring them to that person and they are able to share the gospel in a way that just blows you away and you see the kingdom service because that person served you by speaking to someone you know. You're in desperate physical need and don't know how the, the, this is going to come together, how your need is going to be met. And we as a church are called to meet it. In fact, we can't say we love one another if we don't. But as we look inward, we cannot forget to look outward. Here's the, here's the problem. This building that we met about this morning and the building that we're looking at intently the problem with that church is that they had gotten to a place where they were not doing anything but looking inside. They had forgotten that they'd been called not only to worship God, but to lead others to worship God. You see, this mission, this, this, this vision for this church is not just ours. It's everyone. It's every believer. This is who we have been called to be. So as we gather and we look inside to serve one another, we can't forget to look outside to proclaim the gospel and advance the kingdom. We're going to be in Acts chapter 19. We're going to read quite a bit today, and as we go along, you'll see the points kind of fall out in front of you, and, and um, we've, got, we've got quite a bit to read through. So while the introduction was long, and getting to this point of understanding that we are a call to proclaim the gospel and advance the kingdom, please hang with me. This is, this is imperative. This is Im it is important for us as a church. Acts 19, the verses are on the screen. They're in the handout. Of course, they're in your Bible as well. Beginning re reading at verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Here it is, the story of how the church is planted in Ephesus and the church begins to grow crazily. I mean, just beyond any control, the church just bursts into life in Ephesus. Paul walks into the city. Ephesus was a pagan town. I mean, it was, I almost said it was godless. It wasn't godless. There was all kinds of gods there, but they were not real. They were not really God. It was the home of Diana. It, there was a temple there that she was said to be the mother of all life. This, this temple around it, criminals couldn't be arrested within a bow shot of the temple. And so around the temple, there's a, a village, not really a village, maybe a hamlet or a suburb of the city, finds itself around this temple where thieves and murderers and all kinds of criminals came because nobody could do anything to them. Diana is obviously not the mother of all life either. I mean, we know that's not true. But these people were given to worship her. And it wasn't just the people in the city. This was a place where people from all around came. People from all over the, the region, all over the area came. It, it's much like Mecca, you know, where, where Muslims go and, they, and they are pilgrim, there's a pilgrimage from even places in America that they'll go all the way to this, to this special holy place. That's what it was like. And so pilgrims would come to the city to go to the, to the temple of Diana and worship. Beyond that, it was at this point there was a Roman government there, and so the Romans were all about uh, worshiping their their ruler Caesar, and so it was the, the the Romans that lived there. That's who they lived for. It was a godless. It was a well again. It had plenty of gods, but not the God. Pagan. 
lost, dark city. And Paul enters in. And it says, And he said, And there he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and began to speak in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Now, this is actually kind of a common thing at this time. It sounds a little weird to us because we have never lived in a time of transition in our faith. And we live in a time where communication happens in an instant. If I need you to know something, I can get it to you and instantly. You may not read it. You may not listen to the voicemail. But I can get it to you and available to you at a moment's notice. That's not the way it was then. They were in the midst of transition. It's interesting because what had happened is, is either they had gone to Jerusalem and, and, and been in the regions where John the Baptist was preaching and teaching... And, and become disciples and, and listen to what he said and repented and been baptized in that. Or some of John's disciples had gone out and spread the word. And now these 12 men are gathering, trusting in the Messiah to come. It's possible that they even had heard of Jesus being alive and even heard that Jesus was the Messiah. But they had not come to trust him as Savior. You see that part of the work had been done, part of part of Part of what they needed to know and understand to, to be in this faith, they, they had seen and heard, but they hadn't heard all of it. It's, it's, they, didn't have, they didn't have some rock star pastor out there tweeting, hey, Jesus came, died, rose again, believe in that and you'll, and you'll be okay. It took time to get the word out. It took time for it to spread. There wasn't viral videos that everybody was watching on YouTube. There, there was no video for them to go on YouTube and see Jesus resurrected dead on the cross, and then the empty grave on Sunday morning. It wasn't there. And so they were in this time of transition where they had been expecting the Messiah, and now they were being told that the Messiah had come, His work was done, and now they were to trust in that. And they believed. And they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And Paul put his hands on them and he prayed for them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in tongues and prophesy, meaning that they were speaking and praising the truths, uh, 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 the, the glories and power of God. And a lot of people will point to this text and they'll, they'll say, well, look, right there, if you've received the Holy Spirit, you're going to speak in tongues. And they're going to point to the fact that if you've never spoken in tongues, you've never received the Holy Spirit. That's not, that's not at all what the text is saying. In fact, that's asking the text to do something that Luke... Luke's not building a doctrine. If Luke was building a doctrine, he would have written it more like he did when he was writing in his Gospels. And he would have told us to act and obey and do certain things. And this is exactly what's going to happen. He's describing the events. These people received the Holy Spirit. And they began to act in ways that no one could explain except by the supernatural power of God. And so if you've never spoken in tongues, don't assume oh, I've never received the Holy Spirit. I can show you many more passages in Acts that demonstrate people being saved and receiving the Holy Spirit. 
and tongues is never mentioned, then the three that people point to, this is one of those three. What we can see, what we can see is that when God acts, big things can happen, things that can't be understood. And so this is the first point of of your outline, the first point that I want you to understand and I want you to live in. I want you to pray. I want you to pray. And I don't mean prayers like, Aunt Susie's got a busted toenail. Would you make her feel better? Man, I'm not trying to, I don't mean to make fun of, I, I am making fun of that, but I don't mean that necessarily. Pray for every little need. Pray for every little need. But the unfortunate reality is is that oftentimes that's all our prayer requests are. I want you to pray. And I want you to pray not just for insignificant small things that, that really tomorrow won't matter. I want you to pray for something significant. I want you to pray for Holy Spirit power. I want you to pray for things to happen like happened in the book of Acts. I want you to pray that the Spirit would fall on you in such a way that you would no longer be afraid to speak the truth. And that you would have words and knowledge and wisdom and understanding that you can't explain except that the power of God fell on you. I want you to pray for that kind of power. I want you to pray that people supernaturally are healed. I want you to pray that people are supernaturally speaking to others in languages they don't know. I want you to pray that God, through His Spirit, would use us as a people, as a church, to see lost people saved and dead and dying people that are going to hell brought into the kingdom. Pray for that. And I mean seriously, pray. we, We don't pray for these things. I'm telling you, you need to pray. And I'm not, I, I mean it. I mean it. This is one of the worst weaknesses that, 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 that the typical Christian faces is that we don't look for the Spirit to work. We try to do this on our own. We try to live and do this mission and fulfill the call of God by ourselves. We can't. Fighting the, the, the spiritual war that we've been called into, that we have inherited, fighting that fight... It's like fighting a five-alarm fire with a glass of water when we're trying to do it on our own. We need God to act. We need Him to move. Francis Schaeffer, a theologian, he says this, the central problem of our age, and he's not in this age, and he's writing this some years ago. The central problem of our age is not liberalism or modernism nor the old Roman Catholicism or the new Roman Catholicism, nor the threat of communism, nor even the threat of rationalism and the monolithic consensus which surrounds us. he's, He's basically saying, look around you. Look at the times that you live in. And postmodernism, that's our issue today. You know, well, there's really no solid truth, no absolute truth there. It's true for you, true for you, not true for me. This is what my truth is. That's, that's one of the things we struggle with. Morality. Because there is no truth, morality's up in the air. And those are not the problem. All these are dangerous, but not the primary threat. The real problem is this. And please hear me, church, please hear me. This is a problem we have. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ 
individually or corporately, tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than the power of the Spirit. The central problem is always in the midst of the people of God, not in the circumstances surrounding them. Hear me. The world is lost, and they are going to act like lost people do. Why would we expect anything different? But you and I have no power, no ability of our own to save anyone, to convince them of the truth. We need the power of God. And you heard Matt read that passage this morning. Oh, man, I don't don't think he'll leave us wanting. He desires to do things, these things, through his people. And so this call to action and the call to proclaim the gospel that we might see the advance, the kingdom advanced, begins with a call to prayer. In Ephesians, when Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians, he, he, he ends it with this call. He says, he says, put on the full armor of God. He's given them all this instruction. He's given them the gospel. He says, put on the full armor of God and go into war, you know, preparing them for battle. But the very first words after he finishes talking about the army, he, armor, he says to get on your knees and pray. Pray. Beg God. Bombard the doors of heaven with your requests. Not simply to see Aunt Susie's big toe feel better, but to see God's power being worked in you and through you. And not just you but the people around you. Read the letter to the Ephesians. It's an interesting letter because in over and over, three times at least, I know of, off the top of my head, Paul works through these prayers. And he says, I pray this for you. And he talks about them having knowledge and understanding and, and being uh, uh, under the power of God and experiencing the power of God. And he, he calls them to pray. He, he says, I bow my knees for you that you might know the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of Jesus Christ's love. What good is that love? I mean, imagine if, if that love was only for you. That's not, any, that's not anything amazing at all. This love is for a people that we don't even know yet. It's huge. It's so much further reaching than just you. It's for your brothers and your sisters and for people who don't even know that they belong to God. They don't even know that He knows their name. We can't blame the world. It's not the world's fault that, that nothing's happening. We're the ones with the truth. We're the ones with the message. But if we don't look to God to lead us in it, to empower us through it, to make it happen, man, we can't do it by ourselves. Pray, pray, pray that you would be affected by the Spirit. And that your brothers and sisters sitting in this room and your brothers and sisters sitting in churches across our city will have their hearts broken by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was asked once before just when we were starting this church, do I really believe that this can that this can transform our city absolutely. Ephesus, Ephesus was godless. I mean, they were lost, they were dark, they were pagan. And because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God used them not only 
to see a church planted in their city, but to send missionaries out that would soon reach much of Asia. In fact, you'll see in the last verse, it was through the church in Ephesus that Asia was hearing the gospel. We need to pray for that. We need to participate in our culture. You see Paul, he walks in and he participates. He engages people there. He finds disciples, people who believe, and he engages his culture. But listen, it it continues on in verse 8. It says, and he entered the synagogue. He didn't just participate with the believers. He went to the lost people. He entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly. That's, that's an important word, boldly. And Paul wasn't a word mincer. He, you know, he met people where they were, but he told them the truth. He spoke boldly, <clears throat> reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, just in case you're wondering, it's where the name of the church comes from, the way. That's what they called the faith back then. That's what they called believers, followers of the way. Speaking evil of the way, before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Imagine. Here's Paul. He walks into a city. He finds 12 guys. 12. I don't know how many people were in that city, but I'm betting that 12 seemed pretty insignificant. I'm betting that that looked pretty undoable. And he goes into the synagogue and he starts telling them about the truth of the gospel. He starts telling them about God's power through Jesus Christ. He starts calling them to believe and he builds some other disciples. And pretty quickly, it, it you know, it's starting to affect life and things get a little difficult and people start condemning him for the truth that he's teaching, condemning the faith, condemning them and, and, and not wanting anything to do with them. And Paul's like, you know what? Well, we'll take it out of the synagogue and we'll, we'll leave this people all together and we'll go into the city. They go to a place called, that, that was the Hall of Tyrannus, which was a, a school of philosophy. A guy had built something and they got together and they taught and they reasoned and they thought about life. You know, it's where, where things like, you know, people like Socrates would hang out there and they'd think about the meaning of life. And they try to understand why people do the stupid things people do. You know, that's where that all started. That's where it happened. And Paul says, you know what? We're going to reclaim that. We're going to go into that place, and I'm going to teach you. And for, for two over two years, he's pouring into these people's lives, and people are coming in and being added to it at times. And not only is he pouring into them, but he's letting it be seen in all their community. He's participating. He's engaging. But, but not, not only is he getting involved, not only is he participating... He's committed to it. The, the work we've been called to is not, a, it's, it's not an instant re- reaction. It's not something that can, can provide us instant gratification. It's not like we can click on a website and boom, we've made everybody Christians. It takes time. It takes effort. For three months, he stood in the synagogue every day. I don't know what kind of fruit he saw, but it wasn't grapefruit. It wasn't amazing. It wasn't blowing. The, it wasn't blowing. It, it was not like everybody would look at Paul and say, oh, man, you, you've grown a megachurch. You're amazing, Paul. You've, you've done so many amazing things. But he went in every day. And then when he started facing some problems, it's like, you know what? You guys don't want this? We'll put it in front of some people that might. And he goes into the culture and he commits to this work for two years. 
he commits to this work to, to just invest in these people's lives and to pour his knowledge in what the Holy Spirit and God had done in him. He committed to it. He made it a priority. Paul was a tent maker. I mean, he had to eat. He had to, he had to live. But every day, Every day he made time. And I'm not saying all of us are called to be Paul. I'm not asking you to get up and leave your life. What I'm asking you is, have you committed to the mission that God has called you to? Have you committed to participating in the world that you might see God glorified in it? Are you making it a priority? Or is there something else? Do you have your own kingdom to build? Do you have your own stuff to get done? Do you have your own desires and motives that you need to see taken care of first? You see, if we're going to take part in the mission of God, we need to commit to it. We need to make it a priority. If we're going to participate, we're going to be a part, we're going to engage, those are imperative. Not only do we see him participating, we see him proclaiming the truth. I know you guys are loving all these peas. It took me, man, hours to come up with that, to make it right. Not really, it's just dawned on me. I'm that good. <laughs> but he also proclaimed the truth. That's the other side of participating. There are plenty of people that participate in the world. There are plenty of people that get involved and look like they're doing good things. But we can't just get involved because that makes us no different than anybody else. We must, like Paul, proclaim the truth. In fact, participating without proclaiming is condemning. You can go and you can feed every homeless person in Springfield. And if all you do is feed them a sandwich, you're sending a full belly to hell. It's the truth. Now, like I said, we can't save anybody. We, we can't make anything happen. We're not responsible for any person that ends up in hell. It's, it's going to happen. We can't change that. But what we can do is obey the command to go and tell. We have been commanded to that. And so I just, I, I'm going to say this, and I want you to hear me. For those of you that are visiting with us, Man, I love you, but, but for those of you that this is your church and I'm your pastor, I want you to understand as I say this to you, it is with the sincerest desire to see you be the best. It's for your best interest. It is evil for us to know the truth and yet be unwilling to open our mouths and say it. It is our responsibility to go and tell. How will they know? If no one goes and preaches, how will they know if no one goes and tells? You're not going to stand in heaven and God's not going to kick you out because you didn't obey the command. That's grace. Thank God for grace. But hear this. The Bible is clear. It's his church that he uses to spread that message. It's our job. It's our responsibility. You know, there's even a passage, I, I think it's one or two chapters Previous to this, Paul goes into a city and he proclaims the gospel and they reject him. So he turns around and leaves. He's like, you know what? Your blood is on your heads. I've done my job. And we live in a city 
that no one seems to need Jesus. The people that I talk to already have a church and they, they go to. They can't tell you the name of the church and they can't tell you the name of the pastor, but they go and they've heard all the stories about Jesus and they don't need Jesus. Just, you know, leave me alone. I don't, I'm okay. I'm all right. And I get rejected way more, way more than I hear people say, yeah, well, let's talk about that. But the truth is, that's not my call to convert people. It's my call to tell people. And it's your call to tell people. You may not be an evangelist. You may not be spiritually gifted to evangelize and see many people come and understand the gospel because of the things that you're saying. But don't think just because you're not gifted to it doesn't mean it's not your responsibility. You know what? If, if you are stumbling with your words, you bring them here, and I'll make sure every, every week I'm going to make sure that the the blood of Jesus Christ is demonstrated as our sacrificial offering for salvation. I'm going to make sure that we talk about his risen, him being resurrected and alive from the grave so that we can celebrate in this new life. I'm, I'm going to make sure that's said. So bring your friends here. They may feel kicked in the teeth because I'm talking to a church. That's my priority here. But I'll make sure that the, that the gospel gets out. If, if, if you can't get the words out, if they have questions, man, have them call me. I don't know that I'm an evangelist. I don't, I don't think I am. But I, I, I will talk. And I'll tell them. But the truth is there's other people in this room that may not even realize they're gifted with that gift. Because they've never opened their mouths to say the words and see the Holy Spirit work. Or they have, but... They still can't get past the fear of it. Those people, we need to be encouraging. We need to be loving on them, and we need to be serving them, and we need to be equipping them and preparing them because God is going to use them to advance his kingdom. We need them. If you've if you're got that evangelistic bent, we need you to do what God's gifted you to do. See, the gospel, I told you it's evil for us to it's evil for us to know the truth and not speak it. It's, I, honestly, I, I, I'm not saying that there's not times that we go and do things and not necessarily overtly be overtly sharing the gospel. Certainly there's times to build relationship. There's times to be, be looking to, to, um, to just serve and, and build a platform from which you can preach and, and, and boldly proclaim these, these truths that some people just have difficulty dealing with. Certainly there's time and room for that, but the intent has to be the intent has to be that at some point we speak the words. Jesus Christ died in your place for your sins that you and I can have life. He's alive from the dead. He rose on the third day and in his resurrection, he's proven. He has proven that this is the way and he has provided life. And our trust is to be placed in him. If we don't get to a place where we say that, then there's no sense in doing the other stuff. Honestly, I got stuff I'd like to buy, things I'd like to do with my time. They're a whole lot easier and a lot less confrontational. So if we're not going to open our mouths and say the words, then it doesn't matter how good a job we do being good people. People are dying and going to hell. And the whole time, we've got the answer. See, the gospel is a message. At its heart, the gospel is a message. And a message is meant to be spoken. 
hey, I got a message for you. But it doesn't do any good if I don't go on, right? I mean, if, if you got home and your wife or husband said, hey, so-and-so called and they left you a message. Okay, what's the message? Well, I don't, I don't, I didn't, I didn't write it down. It doesn't do anybody any good. See, the gospel, it, it is the word that works, but the word has to be spoken. The gospel is the word that works. It's the key to all of this. Certainly, we need to go out. We need to be good citizens. We need to reach out and serve and love on people. We need to go out and act in mercy. But without the gospel, those acts are empty. We're just good people. The gospel is the word that works. It's the power that brings life. It's, it, it has the power that brings life. It's what transforms us from the inside out. It goes on. The passage goes on. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. I Man, I heard Chandler talk on this not long ago and he, he's like, hey, if you ever leave a fight naked and beaten up, there's no question who won. This dude beat their butts. I mean, there was seven sons of Sceva. Seven. And this one dude beat them to the point that they didn't have clothes on anymore. Do you, do you see why I want you to pray for Holy Spirit power? See, I want our people, I want this church, I want the people that claim this is their home, I want the people who visit and hear the message, I want everyone who we have opportunity to influence, I want them. To be able to go to somebody and if the demon speaks back, say, oh, I know your voice. I know your name. I'm gone. You see, otherwise, we might get ourselves beat to the point we're naked and bleeding. And that's not what I want for you. But more than that, I want you to see what Paul did. Paul went in and, and God used him in mighty ways and he relieved the, the, the pains and the woes of life there. He relieved them of their suffering. You see, it's the same thing Jesus did. Jesus went into a city and every place he went, he made it better. And for the time that he was there, it, he made it better. Some cities he went into and he healed every sick person. He didn't do that in every city, but a lot of cities, some of the cities he went into, it says all the sick were healed. He relieved their suffering. As we strive to, to participate in this mission and engage our community and proclaim the truth of the gospel, we need to strive to relieve the suffering. We need to feed homeless people. We need to reach out to, to single moms who are struggling, and, and we need to help them in any way we can. We, we need to come and provide school supplies for students that won't have them any other way. We need to meet people in their physical need. You see, nobody argued with Mother Teresa about anything she said. Do you know that? Mother Teresa could say anything. I didn't agree with everything she stood for. I didn't agree with every, all of her theological perspectives. But nobody was arguing with Mother Teresa. She had influence in the world. You know why? Because Mother Teresa acted the same way that she spoke. 
she sought to, to um, show mercy, to, to exemplify mercy. She, she went into cities and she gave her life to this. And as she exemplified that mercy and saw the suffering met, obviously not taking away all the pains and woes of the world. We don't have power to do that. That comes at a, that, that's, that's the fruit of sin. Sin is here and so is suffering. But by the power of God, by His provision, we can exemplify mercy and we can reveal the grace that God's message is filled with. We're lost, we're sinners, we're dying, we're on the way to hell, but by God's grace, through His love, He has given us a way that we might be that we might know him and live with him forever. In verse 17 through 20. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus. So not only is it happening in this city, I mean, this city is transformed. It's turned upside down. Things look totally different. You already heard in, the, in, the previous, in one of the previous passages where the, the word was spread all through Asia. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. I'm, I'm here to tell you, when the Spirit works, people will praise Jesus. Honestly, I'd, be, I'd rather be on the side where, where I'm like Paul and, and things are happening for, for the good instead of getting beat up and having to be made an example of because I tried to do something on my own instead of trusting in the Spirit or, or even knowing God. But that's exactly what happened. And, and as God worked, there was a fear fell upon them. The name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And this, the church begins to blow up. People came to believe. And they didn't just come and believe, but they came and they began to confess. And they began to repent. And they, they were putting things aside, witchcraft and all kind of junk that went with that. Sexual immorality and the junk that goes with that. That they were coming and they were like, this is the truth. This is my life now. And I'm leaving this behind. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. We're probably not going to have any book burnings. It's just not what we do anymore. Um, And the people that do are whack jobs. And so we're not going to emulate them in any way. But that's what they did. They burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and, it, and, and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. I don't know really how much that means. There's a lot of people that make guesses what that means and the actual monetary value. But I can tell you if I had 50,000 pieces of silver today, I'd be pretty happy with that. I'd take it. 50,000 pieces of silver sounds like a lot. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. All of this, all of this that I've talked about today, Pray, participate, proclaim. And, you know, I had to go to ours because I couldn't get peas anymore. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't expect that to tickle me so much, but it did. <laughs> Sorry about that. Relieve leads to this last point. Replicate. Replication is about multiplication. That's what it's all about. We want to see people like us, normal, everyday folks, people who are caught up in sinful things, people who trust in religion, people who look into other things, worldly, unpagan, just nasty, dirty, dark things. We want to see those people turn and trust Jesus Christ. And honestly, it's not just about the individual. It's not just about seeing individual salvations. Absolutely, we want that. We're going to celebrate every conversion. 
Every person that we hear of coming to faith and, and, and that will allow us to be a part of that, we are going to celebrate that. We're going we're to see them baptized. We're going to love on them. We're going to encourage them. We're going to seek to disciple them. We're going to pour ourselves in, and then we are going to celebrate each person. But here's the deal. This is a vision. The way was never meant to be about one church in one location grabbing all the attention and trying to draw everyone to one location, to one piece of land in the city. I believe what God's called us to be, and I know it's difficult to see this now because it's been a long, hard work. But we've got to commit to it. We've got to be make it a priority. We've got to be about this. I believe what he's called for us to be is a church that's a movement that not only seeks to see individuals saved, but churches planted. And, and I, I, I'm talking that churches planted in our city, in our region, in our state, in our nation, uh, even as far as places like Africa, China, India, whatever doors God may open, that we would send people to see churches planted. Because of the gospel, we worship God and lead others to worship Him. Because of the gospel, we will organize as a family to live unified and authentic lives together. Because of the gospel, we will serve one another selflessly with God-given abilities and gifts. And because of the gospel, we are called to proclaim the gospel and see the kingdom advance. Let's pray. God, you're good. You're gracious. We obviously recognize that we are not worthy but your grace is so rich and full. Your love is so complete and unconditional that we are able to receive from you. That you accept us in our brokenness. And, you, and then you cleanse us and you sanctify us and you gift us and you enable us and you empower us. God, I would pray. I would pray right now that, that, that we would just sit in this moment and think about all you have done for us. In fact, as a church, I just want you to take that time. I want you to consider it. I want you to think about what your life might look like outside of the gospel. <coughs> Father, I pray that as, as we do this, that you would just work in the hearts of each person in this room. That you'd strengthen us for, for your mission that you would give us courage. And God, as, as charismatic as it may sound, that you would fill us and influence us by your Holy Spirit that we might do supernatural things that might give you great glory. And that your name, Jesus, that your name will be extolled because your goodness and your provision of salvation would be seen not by our feeble efforts, but by the power of your work. Father, I, I pray now that you would just convict us where we need convicting. Encourage us. Encourage those in the room. God, I know there's some that, 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 this is, that they're happy to do this, that they long to do this. This is what they do. Encourage them. God, give us opportunities to just strengthen them and embolden them. God, I, I pray, I pray, Father, that you would use this church 
and that as hard as the work has been, we know it's still going to be difficult. We know we've got to commit. We know, we, God, that you would show us the fruit of those efforts and encourage us to keep going forward. We love you and we thank you. It's all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.